This is Opinionated. I don't really have a full understanding of it, but that won't stop me from having an opinion. That's why we're here. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson. You know, crypto is no longer just about money. It's about culture now. It's like you're thumbing your nose at the process. Part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming. And it's not just the future of money anymore. As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out. I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company in Silicon Valley. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea. (laughs) And just a reminder... Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello, this is Opinionated. I am Ben Schiller, features editor here at Coindesk. And joining me today is the great Danny Nelson. Hi, Danny Nelson. Hello, hello. Yes, this is Danny Nelson, the County Stooge. We're here for another episode of the Opinionated Podcast. Ah, the Opinionated Podcast. I'm looking forward to it very much. The one, the only. So we have a guest today, I hear. We do. It's not often that we have a guest. It's really only once a week. But this week, we have Cameron Thompson, one of our own Tufts University graduate, Scobos. She's here to discuss an article she wrote about crypto culture. Yeah, it's an interesting clash of old world and new world, I think. And it's a clash of Wall Street and his crypto bros. Cam, do you want to talk about that? Can you give us an explanation? Yeah, totally. So a few weeks ago, I went to this happy hour on Wall Street. You know, right in the heart of Wall Street. I'd actually never been before. Just kind of showed up at this. It was organized by Wall Street Rides Far, which is this organization that helps raise money for autism research. So they had rung the closing bell a couple hours prior, and everyone was gathered at this bar to just celebrate and you know network. And it was a lot of crypto people as well as traditional finance. So the intersection was fully on display, and it was really interesting to see just from what people were wearing, how people were interacting, and, you know, met lots of people, talked about, you know, different companies such as Block Damon, who, you know, are trying to get into the traditional finance world, coming from a very crypto-centric area, as well as some FTX people there, and, you know, other companies that are looking to get into crypto. Anyways, it was really interesting to be able to witness that intersection fully on display. Yeah, I think that it's something that definitely we'll see a lot more in the coming months with traditional finance stepping into the crypto world. Now, did you see more Patagonia vests with Goldman Sachs on them or (laughs) more FTX branded t-shirts? Which side was winning out? On Wall Street, it goes over your head when you see Patagonia vests. I mean, right, everyone's wearing them. So obviously, FTX hats, FTX shirts, you know, really stood out. So people, you know, definitely representing which world they are a part of. I think Patagonia wanted to ban the usage of their vests in Wall Street. Isn't that right, Danny? Uh, they did. They, uh, they stopped a program where they would monogram those for you. Now you have to buy the Patagonia vests and get them monogrammed yourself. So actually, Danny, you kind of represent this kind of clash of old and new world. Do I now? Well, I believe your dad is in somewhat traditional finance and you're obviously in crypto. So, I mean, how do you see this clash evolving over time? I mean, when I first started here at Coindesk, which is, this is actually my three-year anniversary in the salt mines. Oh, uh, oh my goodness. Wow. What a time it's been. Regardless of that, when I first came here, the narrative in crypto really was about how does crypto bridge into that world. And in the intervening three years, it's become clear that the bridge has been built. The wall has come down, so to speak. The crypto invaders have arrived how long they will be here in the Wall Street world and thrive is another question, but they're not going away. 
And because of that, we see more and more nowadays the question becoming, how do the banks and how does the traditional financial world adapt to this new world from a maybe, you know, just a business standpoint as well as a cultural standpoint? And it's really continued to be in development. I personally think that many of the big crypto players nowadays, like FTX specifically, they're not going to want to stop at crypto. Like there are jokes around that SBF wants to go out and buy Goldman Sachs. I think that might be a bit too hyperbolic. But I think the core idea there is probably true. These upstart crypto companies don't want to just stop at letting people buy spot Bitcoin. They want to become a stock brokerage. They want to spin up more services. They want to become a household financial name, in my opinion. Isn't that slightly different from this dream of becoming an alternative financial system? It's sort of taking over the financial system or co-opting it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the old original narrative of be your own bank is, for better or worse, fully dead as the driving narrative of crypto. And now it's how do we achieve mass adoption? It's obvious that self-custody is not going to be how that is achieved. And therefore, how do we get into more banks? How do we get into more traditional financial services? That's the big mission that these crypto companies are on now. And Wall Street is a very important vector for achieving that, which is, I think, is why, as Cameron saw, there was a lot of cross-pollination, so to speak, at this happy hour. Right. Tell us more about the happy hour camp. Who were the people you spoke to and what were they saying about this kind of collision of old and new? Yeah, so I was talking to some people at Block Damon, for example, um, Melissa Muharkins. She was talking to me a lot about how, at least at Block Damon, they're making much more of an effort to get into this traditional finance world, working with more clients who want to have more crypto adoption. And from her perspective, she came from a background of TradFi. So several other people I talked to were started in this world and were attempting to get into crypto and really embracing the newness and seeing how this world of digital assets is going to be super relevant in terms of traditional financial markets. Why do you think an old line sort of traditional world finance person would be attracted to come into crypto? I mean, what is the draw there? I mean, apart from money. Uh, what else is yeah. there to talk about? I think it's all money. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that this old world is too enthused with the philosophical ideals of undermining and overturning the old systems. They're interested in a buck and in speculation and in future profits. And crypto is definitely something where you know people have made massive windfalls in the past, so they want to catch the next wave. I shouldn't be so naive, I guess. Absolutely not. <laughs> But isn't there something attractive about going into something that's so sort of futuristic, that's on the cutting edge, that's kind of fun and, and young? Absolutely. I think that it's interesting because with a lot of people I talk to, and this is maybe going a little bit off, but a lot of people at this happy hour were very eager to embrace regulation and believe that more of a regulatory landscape around crypto is going to be super beneficial for all these different traditional financial institutions who are looking to step into it. And on the other side of that, other people I've talked to who have been in the crypto space for a long time, you know, mainly in the world of DeFi, are less eager for more of a regulatory framework as to how that might impact what projects they're doing, how exactly they're transacting. So I think there's very much still this divide in terms of people who are coming into crypto from TradFi and people who have been in it for years who you know, might not be so sure how the future looks for, as to how they can operate. I suppose if you work on Wall Street, you're, you're used to being regulated. I mean, heavily regulated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Ben, we've both been here for a while. You longer than I. Actually, I've been here three years as well. Well, I mean, in crypto. 
uh, we're both geezers, so to speak, in crypto years. Where do you fall on this regulatory spectrum? Are you more of the, we got to do something about this Wild West or more let the code reign supreme, see what happens and say sucks to suckers for those who lose out? I would say I'm a kind of utilitarian. I think what is best for the greatest number is generally the best thing. So I think, uh, you know, regulation is obviously onerous and annoying and actually stops innovation. So I'm against regulation of that sort, but obviously you need to protect people from doing stupid things and harmful things to other people. So we need to find a balance. And clearly what disturbs me about the regulatory makeup at the moment is it seems we've gone through eight or nine years of not being regulated at all. That basically the powers that be have not really been engaged in this topic sufficiently to come to some kind of compromise between that innovation on the one hand and the need for protection on the other. Yeah, and I think as a result of that, we see just the number of bad actors increase as just the amount of capital sloshing around increases with it. That, to me, stands out as a big reason why there needs to be some sort of oversight of this space, whether that's through government policy or through self-policing. Do we add financial systems without some sort of arbiter of what can and can't be permissible? Because crypto's really failed at self-policing. Yeah. So there needs to be some sort of guardrail. But what I find, frankly, disgusting is regulators playing a political game of keeping the oversight of this industry within their regulatory ballywick while not actually doing their job properly. So I think, you know, there's a need for somebody to come in at the legislative level and say, we need a new law, we need a new regulator, we need new people. Because if you just apply the, the old rules to this very new space, then you get something very strange and you get people who are not sort of gifted and understanding of what's going on. So I think we're kind of in the worst of both worlds at the moment, in my opinion. It is called opinionated, so. Yeah, it is called opinionated. We've got plenty of those. <laughs> Cam, what were yeah. you seeing with that sentiment there? Were you hearing snippets of conversation, people saying, oh, we gotta, we got to get that senator on our side or anything like that? Yeah, a little bit at this happy hour, people were definitely, I mean, like I said, they were eager to be embracing regulation, embracing what's coming. What I have noticed, though, is, you know, at Coindesk, I also do TikTok. And I've had several TikTok live streams over the past couple of weeks where people who have been in the crypto space for many years, you know, have those sentiments of fearing regulation, but also people who have been in crypto for maybe the past year or two are a little more eager to have that and want to see some clarity and want to be able to reach out to senators. There's definitely a mix. And I think too, with FTX trying to do more than just crypto, I'm curious how potentially people who have been super into crypto for a long time might come from the crypto to the TradFi world. So, you know, all of a sudden might want to be investing in stocks or investing in assets outside of crypto. So I'm curious too, if there's any conversation around that reverse sort of entrance. The reverse commute, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, like it's kind of hard to go from crypto to TradFi. In crypto, you talk about these massive eye-popping returns all the time. 6% it returns a year. That's nothing in crypto. So it's pretty hard for me to see a big wave of crypto people moving into the stock market just because their view of what is an acceptable return has been so distorted by the markets of the last few years. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. You know, once you have something that good, then it's hard to go back to something else, I guess. Then again, in the stock market, it's not too often that you just wake up and your brokerage account has been completely drained and all your stocks are gone. But in crypto, that can happen. So that's another thing to think about. But actually, those cases are quite rare. I mean, we make a big hay of them in the headlines here. But I mean, across the industry, you know, it still might be worth taking that risk. Huh? 
Coindesk is calling all visionaries in the digital economy to present at its newest event, Ideas. Ideas is the place for you to present your market opportunity in front of leading investors poised to help you get your idea off the ground. Apply to become a presenter at Ideas 2022 at Coindesk today. Visit coindesk.com slash ideas for more information. You have a lot of experiences of going to these events. Do you have any uh, points of reference to think, oh, well, I was at this only Wall Street crowd before, and this is what I saw, or I was at this crypto exclusive event prior, and this is how it was different. Like, how would you compare this to other things you've been to? You know, it's so funny you ask that because, so this happy hour was on Tuesday, August 9th. And then on Friday, August 12th, I went to DeFiCon. Oh, goodness. And these could not have been more different. The crowds that were there, different types of people coming from different backgrounds. Obviously, DeFiCon is a lot of people who have been in crypto for a while, who have built out these different types of DeFi protocols. And when I did bring up regulation there, at least Nick Day, actually, who's managing editor of Global Policy and Regulation, he moderated a panel which was about regulation in DeFi. And when I talked to some people after, just in little conversations, there was a lot more sentiment of, no, we don't want this. We were fearful of it. Also, beyond just the conversation of regulation, you know, I hate to say the word vibes, but the vibes were completely different. Yeah, tell us about the vibes. What were the vibes if you had to sum it up for each event? She just said she didn't want to talk about the vibes, and now you're asking her. <laughs> well, the, the vibes are the best part. Yeah, I mean, well, vibes is just an interesting word. I would say traditional finance, it's a lot more put together. But let's say at DeFiCon, people were pretty, I guess, a lot you know, more unfiltered, I would say, <laughs> about what they were talking about and their opinions on the crypto space at the moment. I guess that's a really interesting question over time is does TradFi become more like crypto in terms of its culture and in terms of its you know, ethos of openness about being approachable, about uh, everyone sort of being an individual? And, you know, it's like if you look at Vitalik Buterin, I mean, he's the, probably the most important person in crypto, right? And you can still go up to him in a conference and have a conversation with him. And that would never happen with Jamie Dimon or someone from the traditional world. And I still think there's that kind of big difference in culture there. It's a much more flat approachable open space than than traditional finances. What do you think? Absolutely. I agree. I think a lot more accessible, a lot easier to have those conversations and a lot more passion, I guess, around the actual, you know, products themselves, the building and the industry, because from this TradFi world, there isn't necessarily such a focus in building. And I think that's a big part of where this regulatory divide comes in is how is it going to affect builders? versus traditional finance. I'm used to this. I've been in it for a while and I want it so I can know that these assets that I'm you know, trying to get my firm into are going to be legal slash regulated in the coming years. Yeah. I don't think though that any of the TradFi firms see a competitive threat from crypto. Satoshi would be turning in his grave. Yeah. So you believe it's additive and it's not sort of threatening then. It's not one or the other. It's just another asset. Yeah, I think so. I think at the moment, crypto is really just another asset to the big banks because it hasn't delivered yet to a critical mass of people the promise of an open banking system that it needs to achieve in order to really be threatening to the big banks. And it's probably true that they, you know, crypto hasn't generally solved the kind of usability issue. It hasn't solved the kind of education issue that's so vital to its success. And that maybe is holding a lot of people back to, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people who are trading crypto are already trading their, their stocks in another sort of column of their app. 
Yeah, like is NFT collateralization really going to be the thing that drives us forward? No. Is it important to the development of the crypto ecosystem? Absolutely. Is it a wise financial activity? Well, that's not for me to decide, but I don't have any valuable JPEGs, so I can't even participate. You know, all this is wonky internet money stuff. And I guess one thing that we can take away from uh, the Wall Street crypto cross-pollination event is these two worlds are trying to, I guess, feel each other out, so to speak, understand what really makes the movers and shakers tick and figure out how to make more money. So a good question for us to, to mull here on the show. Vitalik Buterin, of course, the driving force behind Ethereum, one of the many co-founders, probably the most important and definitely the most enduring and endearing in the crypto space. The spiritual leader. The spiritual leader, the uh, QAnon shaman, if you will. Probably not that one, though. Posed a question recently on Twitter to his followers. A lot of different polls. Two of them asking, really, what is his D&D alignment scale? Is he good, neutral, evil, lawful, neutral, chaotic? Where is he? And where, more importantly, are the Wall Street people? I guess I'd say that Vitalik is sort of a, a chaotic good. I think that's where I would place him because he's got this crazy vision for what we can do with distributed computing power. And he's philosophically driving for that to be a positive force for change. So I don't think that's evil. And I think a lot of crypto people would put just Wall Street categorically in the evil category for better or worse, just because of their associations with Wall Street. Anyone else have any opinions on the Vitalik question? Well, I would definitely want to have the word neutral in there because blockchain is at its heart a neutral network. That's the whole point. It's not about uh, you know someone saying what you can and can't do on it. I mean, there have been cases where they have you know rolled back transactions, like with the big DAO hack attack in 2016. But other than that, you know, the whole point about Ethereum is to build this network that anyone can use. So I would definitely want to have neutral in there. And I think he's definitely an example of sort of neutrality in his kind of leadership style. He doesn't kind of say what should happen and kind of order people around. Generally, it's about like creating this community that kind of is self-reinforcing and self-actualizing. So would you put the neutral in the good versus evil category or in the lawful versus chaotic category? I would have something like neutral good, I think. Neutral good? Cam, what do you think? Well, yeah, I think that with a lot of people who like Vitalik, who are very prominent in the crypto space, and obviously this is a sample from crypto Twitter, people will be inclined to say that Vitalik is good. But with some of these traditional finance figures might be some sentiments about these people being evil. Maybe some of the TradFi side, there might be some lawful evil in that, <laughs> at least if we're continuing this regulatory conversation. Lawful evil, that sounds a lot like traditional finance. Yeah. Okay, we're going to wrap this show up now. It's been Opinionated, and that was the great Cameron Thompson, who is a news reporter here at Coindesk, as well as a TikTok leader here as well. And Danny Nelson, co-host of this podcast. Thank you, Danny. Danny Nelson, I have notably never been on TikTok, although I aspire to make it one day. It'll happen. I've been checking it out recently. It's pretty interesting. I refuse to download that Chinese malware onto my phone. It's going to steal all my deep data. You will, though. I will not. You will. I will you not. Will. I will not. It'll happen. It'll happen. They will not get me. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Goodbye. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web 3. 
Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Batakova, and Danny Nelson. This episode has been produced and edited by Eleanor Paul with announcements by Michelle Mousseau. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, Opinionated. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.